Good morning to each of you here this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I count it a privilege to share with you from the Word of God this morning. In Isaiah 61, verse 11, it says, For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. That was an Old Testament prophecy, and I see that there's probably truth there that is being fulfilled today, that righteousness springing forth. God is going to cause this to happen. And there may be even um, levels to this that have not fully been seen yet. And I see a little bit of a sovereign aspect and that God is going to cause that to happen. But are we going to be a part of it? I think we have a, a choice to join in that effort. Yes, it is a calling, but it, it is also a thing that is going to happen. I thought of the, uh, the account in 2 Kings chapter 7 where there was some famine there was some hardship in Samaria Samaria had been under siege by the king of Syria and so there was no food it was a very dark situation and if you read that account there was even where mothers were eating their children and that's how bad it was. We see the extent of that. In the time of Elisha. And the word of the Lord came to Elisha in that setting. He said, hear ye the word of the Lord. He spoke to the king concerning a word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a lord on whose hands the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And this is what Elisha told him. He, he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. I don't know about you, but I want to eat of the things of God, the things that he has said. I want to participate in that. And we see that element of disbelief in what God is able to do. In the good things of God. Is that a foundation we stand on? Do we believe that there can be the windows of heaven opened in our experience? I like the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There's a, a phrase in that song that says, Tune my heart to sing thy grace. 
I hope we are in tune with God. I believe that is the key for our heart to begin to resonate with heaven's wavelength, if you will. And you see that illustrated in uh, elements of the musical world where the, the strings of an instrument can vibrate and if they are brought in proximity to another string and that string is tuned to the same frequency, the second string will begin to vibrate as well without even being plucked. It will just begin to do that. I see that a picture of God's influence on us. The, the washing of the water of the word. Joining together in corporate worship, in spirit and in truth. It is in that setting that I think good things can happen in the house of God. Sometimes you, you have this, you, you hear this frustration where people say, well, we need to do this, we need to do that. And, and my encouragement would be just, just make it happen where you are. Bloom where you're planted. Make the thing of God come to pass where you're at. Because I believe God is calling us to do that. And not wait for a perfect situation and a perfect scenario for the goodness of God to become manifest. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's a sign I've seen, a thing I've, said, I've seen posted before, and it says something to the effect that what happens in the shop stays in the shop. Or what happens in the cabin stays in the cabin. And it has kind of a, an edgy um, tone to it. Like there's something kind of shady going on there. <laughs> but, you know, the things that happen in the church, I don't think they need to stay in the church when it comes to the righteousness of God being brought forth. But we are to go out and make what happens here become a part of the larger picture. Now there's things happening in the world. And as far as I'm concerned, the things of the world can stay in the world. I don't need to learn about all those things because I know it's, it's bad enough without even talking about it. <clears throat> Let's sow the seeds that reap a spiritual harvest in greater measure and I think a lot of that's going to be based on our faithfulness in that calling to sow the seed of God. Turn to John chapter 10 this morning. There's also a verse here that has stood out to me before. Chapter 10, John chapter 10 verse 9, it says, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door, and I'm in the door business myself, so in a sense that caught my attention. But I think for the, the Jew, the door of the tabernacle had significance. And when Jesus said the door, I believe it, it carried some weight in their mind, in their thinking, what this was about. 
because it was the door of the tabernacle where things were brought to. It was, it was the entrance into that hub of activity where God manifests his glory, his cleansing, and his laws concerning how things were to be. And if there was a problem, people were brought to the door of the tabernacle. And Jesus is saying here, I am the door. It is by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Notice what happens here. There is salvation. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. But it doesn't stop with that. Salvation is very important. It's a good start. But it is just the start. And what happens after salvation is really where the good things of God begin to start to happen in our lives. Jesus says, and shall go in and out and find pasture. I see in that where, and, and perhaps he's speaking of the sheepfold, where you, you enter into the sheepfold, but then there is that freedom where you're, you're uh, moving in and out. You're finding pasture. You're finding freedom, provision, nourishment, pasture. And then in, in verse 16, Jesus says this, and other sheep, I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now, at the end of that uh, verse in my Bible, it has the reference Isaiah 56 8. So let's turn to Isaiah 56 8, and we'll see where that thought of other sheep is brought out. It says, The Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him, besides those that are gathered unto him. I'm glad that prophecy, I believe, is being fulfilled in our day and time. In the, under the new covenant, under the new blessing we have to, to join in and, and be part of one fold, gathered together in the Lord. And then I noticed in this chapter 56, it, it's um, a good chapter. I think I'll read verses 1 through 7 at this time just to kind of lead into, in, in a devotional sense, to whet our appetite for the things of God and maybe make some comments here. Um, sort of like when you, when you minister to people and, and you bring the word of God, I, I think how this is kind of like a meal. And depending on the extravagance and the formality of the meal, you have different courses. You have your your starter, your, your, your preliminary things that you bring out. And there's such a thing as a three-course meal and a six-course meal and an eight-course meal. And, and I've heard all the way even up to 12 courses. And so I, I think this could relate to how we bring the Word of God. We have little appetizers we give. And I like to, to whet our appetite to the things of God. 
And in doing that, I think it's good to have a focus. And this morning I want to talk about a little bit the will of God. Knowing the will of God. We're entering a time where we are seeking the face of God concerning ordination and things of that nature. But you know, when, when you prepare a meal and when you serve that meal, it's nice to have more than just potatoes. And so I have in my heart to, um, to go about this, to, to share the word of God. And it may seem kind of like a loose manner because I, I look with envy sometimes of people that have their, their sermons prepared and their subject matter and, and they have their points and they have uh, subtitles and points and it's all nice neat package. And I'm thinking, is, is that the way the Lord wants me to prepare or is it more like a meal where you have various things and there's freedom and we speak the things of God as he would bring them to us. And so I want to do that by the Lord's grace. But here in this chapter, I noticed a couple things that stood out to me. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters, I will give unto them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Do you see the call here and feel the call for, for God to say, do not marginalize yourselves. I am the Lord your God. I've called you. I've marked you. I've drawn you out. There's two things that stand out here that are mentioned at least twice. And one is keeping the Sabbath, or in verse 2, verse 4. Keeping the Sabbath, again, in verse 6. Why was that so important in the Old Testament, to keep the Sabbath? Why is it necessary for a call to rest from God not to work, <laughs> we would, we would uh, enjoy that, it seems, and people do. We're not talking about laziness here. Uh, I believe there is within us a, a desire to, to do things and to progress and to get involved, but God is calling us out of that into something he calls a rest, entering into my rest. It was important 
in the Old Testament as a law. But I believe the law pointed to a bigger thing that we have today. Hebrews 4.3 says this, For we which have believed do enter into rest. I think that's now. There is a rest where we cease from our labors in the sense we cease from carrying out the law as a means of righteousness. Interestingly, in our, in our lesson text today, Paul referenced the righteousness that was in the law. He said he was a part of that righteousness that was part of the law. But he pointed to a bigger thing. A different righteousness that God had in mind. Romans 4 verse 5 says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Another concept that is brought out here in, in Isaiah 56 is that of taking hold of my covenant. Verse 4. Taking hold of the covenant again in verse 6. And you get the picture of, of taking hold. We, that was kind of our lesson focus this morning. Holding fast. Taking hold of something that may be bigger than what we can really get a, a full grasp on, and so we hold on to it. The idea of something so big that we can only get a partial grasp of it, but we dare not let go. You can think of a bulky item or something that we're, we're concentrating on, holding on to that thing, and God says that of his covenant to to make it sure that we are holding on to the covenant of God. The covenant that he has ordained for this day and time, which is the new and living way through Jesus Christ. Let's turn now to John chapter 7. Back to the Gospel of John. Thinking about knowing the will of God. I'm going to start at verse 12, and it says, There was much murmuring among the people. Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 12. There was much murmuring among the people concerning him, Jesus. For some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit, no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why do ye go about to kill me? I want to just stop right there a second. 
I like the way Jesus kind of jumps from one thought to the next here. He can do that because he's a prophet. He can read the minds of people. He knows their thoughts. He can see what they are thinking. And he expounds to them concerning Moses and the law. All of a sudden he pivots and says, why do you seek to kill me? Kind of like a shocker to them, I think. Because I'm sure that's what they were thinking in their minds. The people answered and said, Thou hast the devil, who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? And, and verse 24 yet, it says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. That is the call of God, I believe, in an, our day, to judge righteous judgment. To use our faculties, the the instruments, the tools, the spirit, the soul, and the body, all of us together, that package, comes in agreement with God to where we are able to make judgments concerning his, his things, his voice to be heard in the world. In the Old Testament, you often see where the prophets um, lamented because there was no judgment in the earth. There was no justice concerning the fatherless, the widows, the, the needs. Some of it were practical needs, but there was no judgment. And, and I think what it means by that is there were no decisions. There were no uh, things being brought forth in the realm of reality of God's people. God wants his people to walk not as robots, but as people that have the mind of God and are able to make judgments concerning the things of God. And I like verse 17. It says, if any man will do his will. And other, other translations would say that, carry the thought, if any man desires to do his will. If any man is willing to do his will, it has to start there. He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. There has to be a willingness to, to make this process begin. There has to be a desire to do the will of God. The doing and the desire to do is what leads to the understanding of the doctrine. Now sometimes we get it the other way around. We say, well, I, I, if I understand, then I'm going to do it. I'll be willing to do it if I understand. But in God's order of thing, he, he says we need to first be willing, and then out of that willingness, I believe, there comes a natural desire to do the will of God.
God says will to do a thing, and then you will reach an understanding concerning that. I had to think of the story of, of Paul and Silas in that jail. And there was an earthquake. And the jailer, somehow he knew that Paul and Silas had the answer. But he didn't, know, he didn't think that before something miraculous happened. But his first request was, and his first desire was, uh, men and brethren, what, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? That is good to have that desire to do. Not that God is going to um, need, necessarily need the things we offer to him. But, but there is a willingness and a readiness to do a thing based on, on our desire. I see it just a, a lot like Jacob. When he was in, in uh, his, his uh, home, town, wherever that was, and Joseph was in Egypt as king, and they were beseeching the favor of Joseph, not knowing who Joseph was, but they wanted to um, impress upon Joseph their willingness to comply with his demands. And Jacob said the second time as they were to go back and hopefully come out of that situation with good results. Take a little supply of the land. Take the goods of the land, the figs, the grapes. Do all this. Now Joseph didn't need this. But that was Jacob's desire, to send extra, to do, go above and beyond. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12 says, For if there, first, if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. And also, the, the verse that comes before that talks about uh, a readiness of mind to perform the doing of that. So there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. Now one thing we do have is a will. We can exercise that will. We have decision-making power. And so sometimes we ask, what is the will of God? How can I learn the, God, the will of God? And maybe young people are often in this class where they haven't really charted their course in life yet and, and things can change and decisions need to be made. What is the will of God? And I think a, a good starting point is to recognize that, you know, this is a process. Learning the will of God is a process in which God himself is involved from the beginning. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I think... Um, I think maybe there's confusion sometimes about the role that our will plays. We, we speak a lot about um, submitting our will and sacrificing our will and maybe even to where the, that concept of abandoning our will to where we don't have a will. 
But I think it's more the idea that we engage our will to that of the Father. We redirect our will. We rechannel our desire and our will to that of the Father. There's a song we sing. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice. And there's a phrase in that song that talks about that, his, that our will be lost in thine. The, the two become one because we still have our being. We still have our soul, our spirit, and our body, and our, and our choices to make. But in all of that, sometimes we ask the question, what is God's will? And that's a large subject. I don't know that I can hardly even uh, scratch the surface on what the will of God is. But I thought I would bring out a couple places from Scripture where it, it talks about the will of God. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish. 1 Timothy 2.4 talks about God who will have all men to be saved. God wills that all men be saved, and yet not all men are saved. It soon becomes apparent that God's will involves or requires the participation of man in order to be accomplished in this earth. In the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, he said, pray that God's will to be done on earth even as it is in heaven. There's a sense in which we have to grant permission for God's will to be manifest in this, in this earth. I think it works a lot the same even with Satan's ability to influence us and to carry out his work. He needs permission from man. Man, in effect, I believe, has to authorize the works of God to be made manifest. And there's a, a spiritual principle, I think, that, that this is part of. And I think it stems from the creation. There's a creation principle that still stands today when, when God said in Genesis 1.26, he, he said, let man have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowls of the air, over the cattle, all, over the animals. But then he said, let man also have dominion over all the earth. There was some authority vested in, in this creation of man whereby God gave him the authority over all the earth. Notice in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 19, where the Lord brought the animals to Adam, it said, to see what he would call them. To see what he, the, he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And you can say, well, that was just the animals. That was, such a, that was just a, a little thing. And God was just interested in, you know, just seeing for, for fun what what names Adam would be able to come up with. 
But, you know, I had to think, what are the things that God may be placing before us? Setting before us to see what we are going to call or to declare concerning that thing. And, of course, we do this within, within the scope of God's will and his revealed will. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I think there's a, a guiding principle here concerning the will of God. I'm going to start at verse 2. It says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm just going to say one thing. Not conformed is a teaching we, we really like to latch on to. When I was in Bible school, we took a course on separation and non-conformity. For some reason, we find it easier to not conform to the world in our appearance and by the things we do. And I'm not saying that's not a good thing. But is that where the power really resides and lies in what God is calling us to? Because I see in opposition or in contrast to that, and that's part of the package, but it says to be transformed. How many Bible school studies talk about the transformation power of God? Does that capture our interest as much as trying to be different than somebody? What about the transformation power of renewing our mind? I like that word of trans, being transformed. Now, in, in our world today, we have a thing called a transformer. Electrical transformer converts um, electricity. It transforms it. Normally, it converts it to a lower voltage. It might interest you to know that the, the wires that are coming out, the secondary wires, I would call them, the low-voltage wires coming out of a transformer are not connected to the primary wires. They're not physically touching the primary wires. There's, there's a connection there, but it is, not, it is not through conduct. The, the connection that that transformer makes is, is through electromagnetism, through an electrical field that the coils in that primary wire are concentrated. And they're designed to create a magnetic field to where that field is transferred into the secondary winding and the, the magnetism is what creates the low voltage. I see that a lot in how we are transformed by the things of God. We are affected by the presence of God. We, we come in proximity to that concentration of that power and out of that flows a magnetic field and I think the magnetic field in this comparison could be the renewing of our mind. That is what induces the, uh, the righteousness that God desires and the effect that he wants to see in our life. Now this is all for a purpose. It says that ye may prove that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't know what that speaks to you this morning. 
it, it's talking about a good will of God and it's talking about the acceptable will of God and it's talking about the perfect will of God. Are, are these all the same will or is this different layers to how God's will um, is shown to be in, in real life? Last Sunday we had a story about the, the uh, story of Balaam and how he was stopped on that um, journey to, to, to go with those men or to meet with the men and he was stopped by the angel of the Lord. And the result of that, that encounter was a little conversation that took place. And Balaam offered, well, if, if you don't want I'll, I'll leave. I'll, I'll turn around and go back. And then the angel said, well, I guess since we're here, you may as well go forward. So Balaam went forward. Now, was that, was that the perfect will of God? Or was that just the acceptable will of God? A lower layer, a layer of what he was really desiring out of that situation and so you know you have the good will of God and the acceptable will of God I believe uh, would translate into what is pleasing to God acceptable in the sense that it, it is pleasing to God it's not that he just says well I guess I'll put up with it I notice often when the Bible talks about the will of God it doesn't say what the will of God is it doesn't specify what the will of God is. But in leaving that open and blank before us, I think the idea is that we, we have to contend to search for and to find and to experience in our spirit what the will of God is and to search it out. There's a verse in Ephesians that talks about the, uh, the will of God as well. Ephesians 4, 32, and this, this idea of being renewed, it says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In what ways, in what practical ways can we make this happen? To know the will of God and to bring it about. Well, I thought of 1 Timothy 4, 13. Where, where the, the Apostle Paul says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. He's like, in, in your spare time, until I show up, until I'm able to, to minister more fully to you, here are some things that you can work on. Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. And I think the reading he was re referring to was the public reading of the Word of God. And that's important, but as well as, as private, private uh, reading of the Word of God as well. But in all of this, I see that the goal is to be able to prove or to establish, um, to discern, to test, and to, to uh, see, to evaluate the approval of the will of God in our experience. God's not just going to hand you a list of Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments were valuable. But we know there are situations where um, we may have a question about an item or, or how the direction of things need to go. And I believe the Bible does have the answer. 
for every scenario. But the wisdom to how to apply that is another story. That's where we need the knowledge of God, the renewing of our mind. And the, and the good thing about this is God says that we are partakers of a divine nature. Would that not give us a little hope concerning this matter of making decisions? And calling forth what is the will of God. There were times where Jesus said, what wilt thou have me to do? What wilt thou? It's like he is encouraging us to examine our will. That's a good question. What wilt thou have me to do? Because, you know, in reality, I believe what we will is what God will eventually give us. If we will to walk in the ways of the world, that is the decision we make, we will reap the effects of that. And that is what God will give us. So it's a good question to consider. What do we will? I like the, the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. It says, the sons of Issachar, the children of Issachar, and this was not the full tribe of Issachar, but it was those who had decided to join themselves unto David in that scenario where David was on the run. But there was those men that, that joined themselves to David. And it said they were men that had understanding of the times. We need a sons of Issachar anointing upon our mind and spirit that we understand the times. And I think that will help us in our decision processes. Jesus said, you know, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the time that we are in. You cannot discern, I think what he was saying, you cannot discern the presence of God because I'm standing right here. You cannot discern the things of God. And he said, you hypocrites. A very nice name. I'm sure that blessed a lot of those people to be called a hypocrite. Ephesians 5.17 says this, Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God wouldn't ask that of us if it wasn't possible. And I think in that in the grappling with that, we often ask, well, why doesn't God speak a little more plainly concerning his will? And I believe the answer to that is he wants us to walk by faith. It's a faith that's rooted in what we already know. But I believe in doing that, when we walk by faith, it means we take a step where the eyes of our faith are drawing us to where God's will becomes our will. And our will, and I say this very carefully, our will can become God's will. You say, really? I think there were examples of this. I'll just bring out one. In the parables, or in the, in the gospels where there was a man who desired healing of Jesus. He had the faith that this would happen. And he made Jesus known of the fact that I have a servant that needs healing. 
Jesus offered to come to his house and heal the servant. What did the man say? He said, no. He exercised his will. He said, because I am not worthy. I am not worthy for you to enter into my house. But if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. Now we know the story. Jesus expressed uh, uh, an, ast an astounding, um, uh, he marveled at the faith of the man. But the man had a will of his own. And Jesus healed that servant after he had offered to come to the house to do it. Now did Jesus do it his way or he, did he do it the man's way? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? The man exercised his will, or you could say he had an idea. He had an inspiration of how this could happen. It, it wasn't in conflict with Jesus. And Jesus honored the will of that man. There's, there's so many ex other examples of that where God works in accordance with our will. And that, that really, to me, is part of the answer and part of the challenge we have to make that process happen. Mark 10, 51, what wilt thou that I should do unto you, Jesus said. Again in Matthew 20, 32, what will ye that I should do unto you? Jesus appealed to their will. What do you want me to do? What is your desire? And this, you know, this thought could, could be a concept that could be taken off the rails, perhaps, and, and just abused. But I think within our setting here, we're, we're good discussing this with the mind of God as to ways in which this could, could take place in the settings and the callings upon our life. Wilt thou be made whole, Jesus asked a man. It, it's a valid question. What is our desire? Do we want to be made whole? Because it has to start there. It really does. So consider the weight of your calling that God has put on your life when he says to ask, to seek, and to knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. One of, one of the wills of God is that we enter into rest. We enter into a place of rest. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not offering you the plague. He's offering you life and life more abundantly. God told Moses in the Old Testament, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest Jesus wasn't the first to say those words but God promised rest to Moses and so in our callings in our decisions the will of God needs to be sought and desired And my prayer is that God would give us the wisdom and the grace to, to prove all things.
to prove what is acceptable and perfect will of God. Because there's just too many situations in life that we need that. In which uh, I believe he is able to speak to those needs. So may God bless you. Let's have a song. Song leader leaves in song.